Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where I speak with creative entrepreneurs, artists, and other insanely interesting people to hear their stories, learn about their molding moments, tipping points, and spectacular takeoffs. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. In this special two-part episode of The Unmistakable Creative, I speak with Lisa DeLong about her work as a pediatric nurse, overcoming the loss of a child, and how we navigate grief and painful experiences in our own lives. Lisa, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks for taking the time to join us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. So you know, I came across you by way of our mutual friend, Joe Loya, who had mentioned your name uh, in the interview that I did with him. And I was really intrigued by by what it is that you do. So can you tell us uh, a bit about yourself, your story, uh, the journey before the journey that has led you to what you're up to in the world today? Sure. Um, I am a registered nurse originally, um, and I've, uh, I'm a mom, and I've been married for 31 years. Um, I have uh, four kids. Two of my sons have had leukemia. So uh, my journey as a mother, wife, um, parent, a caregiver, all of those elements have kind of um, come into play in my life now um, and over the last um, about 20 years. Uh, my older son, Justin, was diagnosed with leukemia when he was five years old, and uh, this was back in 1990, and he went into remission, and he was in remission for almost 10 years. Um, at that time, um, we, my husband Dave and I had had um, three more children, um, and um, Justin was in the middle of his eighth grade year. He was an athlete, um, loved to run. My husband's a cross-country and track coach. And so running and activities were a big part of our family, mountain biking and all that kind of stuff. So um, in that 10-year period, um, life became very normal. And in the middle of his eighth grade year, his leukemia came back very suddenly, and he died five months later. At that time, uh, Jessica, our oldest, was... Uh, almost 11. Joelle, our second daughter, was six years old. And our youngest, our baby, was only nine months old, Jacob. So six years after Justin's passing, uh, uh, Jacob was six years old. And he had um, a low-grade fever and a cough and a cold that was kind of lingering. And we found out that he, too, had leukemia, the same kind that Justin had, even though it was a non-familial kind of leukemia. So my whole life in the last, 
uh, about almost 30 years now has been about trying to keep my kids alive, really. Um, Jacob is now 14 years old and uh, healthy and um, starting high school actually tomorrow. <laughs> so um, it's definitely a milestone day for us tomorrow. It's uh, uh, an emotional time, really, to have a son who's entering uh, an arena that my older son never was able to, to enter. And um, my husband is, uh, like I said, a teacher and a um, track and cross-country coach at the high school where my son is going to be attending. And um, so it's, it's, a, it's definitely a tender time. I, I filled out all the paperwork just a couple weeks ago to get him, you know, registered. And um, we've had both of our girls um, have gone to the same high school and they've graduated and gone on to college and um, my older daughter is a makeup artist and um, a nanny, and she lives in Oregon. And then my younger one is in um, college at Willamette University in Salem, Oregon. And she is studying end-of-life care and um, end-of-life issues, which is interesting. She's turning 21 next week. So, um, you know, when I reflect back on my life and how uh, – we got to this point of having healthy minded children. I think that's um, what I can offer to the world as a parent and a woman and as a mother is how do you get from all that difficult, challenging content to having a, having any sanity at the end of it all. <laughs> and that's, uh, that's kind of what I've been doing a lot of reflecting about lately is, um, uh, I wrote a book uh, called Blood Brothers, and it came out in 2011. It's a memoir uh, of faith and loss related to the experience that I had. And I decided to write that book when I did because Jacob was just finishing some really um, hard times of chemotherapy and coming out of a, you know, just a really high intensity need period of my life where, you know, my, my, my every waking moment was about keeping him as healthy as he could be. Um, and kids on chemotherapy have to be isolated. They, you know, it's, most people have some experience with the chemotherapy, um, side effects nowadays because so, because cancer is so prevalent and cancer treatments are so, um, much more open than they used to be. It used to be a very taboo subject to even talk about cancer. So when I look back on just kind of where we are as a society and the norms of illness and life and death and all of those kinds of things, I think we're making huge progress. But I, I had learned so much about that issue and dealing with the death of a child um, and the potential of having to do it again and really living with that possibility every day. Uh, that, that's why I decided to write Blood Brothers. And um, because I'm a nurse, I also have the perspective of being the professional caregiver, and I understood the needs of the medical professionals that were helping me and helping Jacob and attending to our family and all those who um, did their best to keep Justin alive and keep him in remission for the 10 years that he was. So 
with that life experience, I felt like it was time to share what I knew with others. Um, and so once my book came out, I started being invited to speak at things like um, lots of fundraisers, uh, things, uh, cancer awareness, uh, and eventually to nursing, to nurse organizations, um, people who, nurses who were doing end of life care for adults and children. And so um, I began to share my story publicly uh, through speaking opportunities, and I discovered that I really enjoy public speaking. It's something that I uh, kind of dabbled in back in junior high um, when I met um, our friend Joe Loya, who you interviewed and uh, a few weeks ago or months ago. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, Joe and I... Uh, it's interesting because um, <laughs> he and I crossed paths or originally met when we were in junior high at Luther Burbank in Burbank. And um, we were just a handful of Hispanic kids that lived in Burbank. And um, and uh, we used to walk home from school together. And he had just the most jovial personality, happy-go-lucky. We both won the... Um, student actor of the year award that year in our ninth, I think it was our ninth grade year and um, no eighth grade because that was two years at junior high. (laughs) Sorry, that was a long time ago. (laughs) Um, But anyway, when my book came out, um, I had, by I started a Facebook account and started, you know, exploring social networking at the advice of other authors that I knew. And uh, one of the first people to friend me was Joe. And I, I had lost contact with him in the middle of our junior year in high school. And I didn't know what happened to him. Um, and there was no internet in those days. And there was no um, cell phones. There were no cell phones. So it was difficult to, when someone just left your world back then, they just disappeared. So when he friended me on Facebook, I was so thrilled. I thought, oh my gosh, this is awesome. I'm you know, like my, my childhood friend, because I really liked Joe back then. He gave me my first album, Songs in the Key of Life by Stevie Wonder. And I had no clue that he had a crush on me. I thought we were just friends. And I, I, I had no clue about anything romantic. And I was not one of the girls that was like, oh, I want a boyfriend. I was like, what? There's boyfriends? <laughs> That's kind of more how I operated. And um, anyway, so when Joe... Uh, friended me I was so happy and I uh, we exchanged phone numbers and we started talking we called him just to hear his voice brought me right back to that uh, time in my life when I was very innocent and unaware of death and grief and um, life illnesses and all of those the depth of tragedies that I'd experienced by the time we reconnected that um, it, it was it just felt so good to hear his voice and so um, he said, you know, what have, you know, what have you been doing? And he had read a little bit about my book and um, that I was becoming, um, that I was a writer. And he, and, and so I told him all about the, you know, what had happened with my sons and my family. And, um, and then I, you know, I finished my time of talking and he, and um, I said, what about you? What, what have you been up to for the last 30 years? <laughs> and uh, he said, you haven't heard. And I said, no. And he said, well, I was a really bad guy. And then I became a bank robber. And I, I mean, I, I almost dropped the phone. I was just like, there's no way that Joe Loya, I knew um, this skinny, bright, 
um, really intelligent, uh, great conversationalist, even in junior high, there's just no way that he had that in him. You know, I was just stunned. So he told me his whole story and I, and I knew bits and pieces that kind of helped me make sense of some of the things that I experienced with him in junior high, like going out. I remember um, going out with him and his dad and his brother to something in LA and, um, and I, and I knew that he didn't have a mom, but I didn't know why. And I didn't know that she had died when he was young. And uh, at least I have no recollection of that now. And I, I think I was just, you know, that kid, self-absorbed kid back then. I just didn't think to even pay attention to those things. So um, our friendship really came at a good time because um, because I was learning how to write. Um, Joe helped me with the final edits of my book, and he's been a wonderful mentor to me as I delved into becoming what it is to be a writer and a um, and share my story publicly and in all the complexities that go with that. So, um, but it, it's really, what's really interesting to me is how our lives have intersected around grief. And while his began as a child at the death of his mother, um, and mine as a mother with the death of a son. And, uh, I think that I, I I definitely believe that there's that's not an accident that our lives have intersected again. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and I and I really look for that in life. Those synchronistic, um, I call them dots because I I really see my life as a big dot to dot puzzle that is just the dots are all there, and we I won't know what my life actually looks like until all the dots are connected. And I don't think all the doc- dots are ever visible, con- visibly connected until we die. Um, and that's just kind of an image that floats around in my head about like how to make sense of life. Um, because I come from a Christian background and um, I was born into a Catholic home and uh, my parents uh, took us to Sunday Mass uh, my and I have five, four siblings, so there's five of us, and um, we attended St. Finbar in Burbank, and uh, I grew up feeling very secure. My parents were good to each other. I was the second youngest. I am the second youngest in my family, so uh, I had older siblings who led the way, and I had a younger sibling that I felt to, that uh, always felt I wanted, you know, kind of needed to take care of. Um, not in a, you know, just in a sibling sort of way. She's, everybody's healthy in my family. But um, I, f- I felt very secure as a child. I never never worried about my mom and dad um, not being there. I never worried about them divorcing or anything like that. It was pretty unheard of in within uh, my childhood experience. To, I, I had friends who'd had parents who divorced and things like that, but it was just never... Uh, even a thought in in my family. So uh, I I grew up with a very solid belief in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And But I I struggled with some things about our Catholic um, belief system. And and, uh, and part of that kind of stemmed from my dad because he 
he would voice very often that he was pretty frustrated with things that he was witnessing going on in the church. And he was on a personal level, he was just frustrated sometimes with, um, like my grandma would say, get, get together. We're going to pray the rosary. And he would roll his eyes and be like, Oh mom, you know, I don't want to roll. I, can't, I don't want to pray the rosary. And, and I think he was forced into many of the, um, Catholic rituals and things uh, in his in his childhood that he didn't really embrace. So it was a, a and I picked up on that. Like there, we weren't like the all in totally devout um, Catholics. We did everything we were supposed to do, but there was some resentment there. And then my mom was very timid, um, and she I remember her having to take medication. I didn't know what she took at the time, but she sometimes would say, "Oh, I have to take my pill before we go to church <laughs> because she had so much anxiety about being in groups." Um, so, uh, and at the same time, I remember, um, all four of us, um, I mean, my four siblings and I, so all five of us and my parents being at church and, um, just how good it felt to look down that pew and see my brothers kind of poking at each other and, and my dad kneeling on the, uh, you know, kneeling in prayer with his hands folded on the pew in front of him and, um, my mom, you know, just sitting nice and quiet and my sisters and I trying to be good. And, <laughs> and then we would, uh, you know, we'd see my dad's head bob and he, we'd realize that he was asleep. And then my brothers would kind of be, you know, we'd all be looking like making fun of dad cause he was sleeping. <laughs> um, that kind of thing, you know, it, it just evokes really positive, um, memories for me. And then, um, and then my dad would, you know, the boys would start laughing and my dad would, you know, very, <laughs> sometimes he would just wake up cussing at them in church, like, you know, um, really funny things. And, um, and then we'd get in the car and go to A&W root beer, which was at the time there were A&W root beers, um, <laughs> you know, the drive throughs and we'd pull up and get a root beer float. And that was a big treat because in those days, we did not eat out very often. And, um, so it was Sundays were a treat, you know, and it, it was kind of a beautiful reward for, to have something sweet after being on our knees all morning, you know? Um, so I, I look at, um, those roots in my life as, as a positive thing. And, uh, and, um, when I was 16, I just, uh, I was introduced to an organization called Young Life, which was um, a Christian outreach youth uh, group, basically, that helped introduce people to Christ. And I was very attracted to that. And uh, my older sister was also, and she had uh, hosted groups in our home. And so uh, I was a gymnast at the time. I was very athletic. And um, I would come home from the gym exhausted, and there would be all these teenagers in my, in my living room um, you know, laughing and joking and playing skits and they were being silly and they were singing and I was just irritated with all of them because I just wanted to go to bed. <laughs> but um, I, I got the message that they were talking about Jesus and I wanted to know more. So when I got into high school, I uh, explored the same thing and uh, was really led by some very wonderful and compassionate and fun people of faith, uh, who introduced me to how to study the Bible rather than, um, be in catechism. And I was very interested in knowing Christ more. And, um, so I committed my life to Christ and began attending, um, 
evangelical churches, and I explored all so many um, Foursquare as well as not. And anyway, I met my high school sweetheart there. That's where Dave and I got married, and he was also very involved in Young Life. And we had a very, uh, very idyllic kind of high school relationship. He was the jock. I was the the uh, cheerleader. Uh, we were very um, grounded in faith in Christ and went through our whole high school and college experience together uh, in a very wholesome way. Um, and then we married and had Justin and bought our first home. And I mean, it, it couldn't have been a more um, textbook kind of picture perfect beginning. And so when uh, Justin was diagnosed, uh, we were, Dave and I were 29 years old when that reality that even no matter how good you are as a person, how much faith you have, uh, bad things can still happen. And I've heard, you know, I think that's the most difficult thing for us as human beings to make sense of why bad things happen and why bad things happen to good people. And, um, Justin was one of those kids who any family would consider the golden child of the family. He was very easy from the time he was a baby. I remember my sister, Lori, uh, my older sister had a baby um, before me. And he was very, um, he was very colicky and he would cry and cry. And she was just, sometimes she was just losing her mind trying to raise this kid. And uh, then I had Justin who, you know, would sit quietly smiling and at a restaurant or a movie or at the house. And he was just, they don't come any easier than this kid. <laughs> and, uh, and, and he was like that his whole life. And uh, even when he was very ill and newly diagnosed, um, I remember he was, um, when he was five years old, I had made his appointment for his pediatrician. Uh, for his, you know, get his vaccines and his pre-kindergarten, kindergarten checkup. So I brought him in and um, he had been a little bit pale for about two weeks. And I thought, well, you know, I'll get him checked out when he has his appointment because he hadn't, he didn't act ill at all. Um, no fever. Well, he had a low grade fever at one point, but it was so mild and it kind of came and went. And anyway, we walked into the doctor's office and we were sitting there and I, I remember looking at the chart on the wall that said, you know, to, you know, make sure your child eats from the f correctly from the food pyramid, and make sure they have their vaccines. And I remember sitting there thinking, you know, gosh, I'm such a good mom. You know, I um, I have him here, and it's it's all on time, and he's up to date on his vaccines, and you know, <laughs> everything. And and the and the pediatrician walked in, um, who was a doctor I worked with at the hospital because I was a mother baby nurse at the time, and. Um, he took one look at Justin and he turned to me and he said, you nurses, you know how to take care of everyone's kids, but your own. And I automatically started crying and I thought, I, I don't know. I can't see what he sees. I don't know what he's, what provoked that comment. And then, um, uh, he examined Justin and, um, I went into his office and he, he was very apologetic and kind from that point on. I think it was just a initial like snap when he saw him. Um, and, 
he said that, you know, Justin needed to go get his blood work uh, checked to take him to get his blood drawn, that he thought he might have leukemia. And so that day I took Justin and had his blood drawn for the first time. And um, he, he was just so compliant. I could, you know, tell him to sit still and let the lady, you know, this is what's going to happen. Let the lady, the needle's going to take some blood out. It's going to hurt a little bit. And he was just, okay, mommy, you know, very, very compliant kid. And then um, we, uh, then uh, the doctor also wanted Justin to have a bone marrow aspiration, which is a very common procedure when anytime that anytime a person needs to have their um, blood tested to a greater degree to find out what's actually causing the abnormalities. And uh, so I had to take Justin to the um, to an adult oncologist who happened to be open that day at lunchtime. And, and again, this was a long time ago. This was 1990. So things are not done this way anymore for the most part. But, um, a lot of times back then it was difficult to get a diagnosis. And I know plenty of families who have had children with leukemia who have lingered for months, uh, without a diagnosis. So, um, to get a diagnosis, it, it takes a certain amount of um, complex lab procedures, so which are much easier to do now than they were before. Mm-hmm. But that day, I had so I took him to the adult oncologist's office. Everyone was at lunch except for the physician, and um, he told me that I would have to hold him and hold Justin in a fetal position, which I was experienced with as a nurse. And I think because I'm a nurse, the uh, pediatrician I worked with and the other people automatically make assumptions that, oh, you're a nurse, you can do this. You know how you have a certain skill set that comes with RN behind your name. But what they don't realize is that this is your child. (laughs) Um, And Yes, I was glad that I had the skill set that I had, but and I still am. But um, there's a balancing act to that uh, as caregivers and professionals, and from the other, from the professional perspective to the parent. Uh, and I do speak on this issue quite a bit to um, nursing groups, nurse groups, and physicians, and that kind of thing, hospice care, because um, it gets to be a blurred line sometimes for parents with a medical background. So that day. I held him, and uh, and I just had one, thankfully one of the things I'd learned from nursing school was to never never to lie to a child. You don't want to tell them that um, look at the you know look at the flower and look away. This isn't going to hurt, and then it hurts. You know what I mean? Like distracting them and telling them that it's, something's not going to hurt, and then it hurts. They're they're just they're not going to trust you ever again. So uh, I told Justin that this was going to hurt. Um, but that, um, uh, if you laid very still, it would go very, it would go much quicker. Um, and, uh, he did, he, he was, like I said, very compliant. He curled up into a little ball and I held him and I just remember, um, him crying because of course the a bone marrow aspiration requires, um, uh, using a fairly large gauge needle and penetrating the bone at the hip, the back of the hip. Um, and so, we just were both crying through this procedure. And I, I remember this image of, you know, how exam tables have white paper um, draped over them. And I just remember his tears 
and my tears melding in that on that white paper and becoming one big blot blot of of uh, moisture and how um and that image sticks with me you know as as challenging as the day was that you know we were in it together and um and i and any parent who has had a, a sick child um and also just someone you love you um but i think especially children you you would just shed your skin for them and take their place if you could and um those early years of experiencing his his illness and also his poise and his grace in being able to handle it uh, were very growing years for me. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. 
We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time. And now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Um, I think very often as parents, we go into th- uh, raising our children thinking that we are going to teach them how to be good people and we're going to be the ones molding them and um, almost like our role in their life is more important than their role in our life as far as growing and knowing and 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 it's been my experience that the opposite is true that of um, especially now at 53 and having being at this junction in my parenting years, I've definitely learned more from my children than um, I could have learned but from anyone else on the planet. Uh, and I think I've learned to pay attention to the things they say, not only my sons when they were ill, but also my daughters. And, and I we share we share each other's wisdom you know it, it, and there have been there are plenty of times in my life where i've thought uh, you know i got to i got to steer this thing this way or that and and try to control a situation with them and honestly if i just let them lead they they find their own way and and they do it very well <laughs> they have their own uh inner strength that is surprising and um, I've seen it, I've seen that kind of composure in sick kids many times because after Justin died, I um, wanted to help other children, other families who had children with cancer. And so I started uh, working for an organization out here that uh, worked with kids with cancer. And I was actually, I was their family outreach coordinator. And I was actually at a arcade night event uh, out here where it was, we had about, I don't over a hundred people there with kids with cancer and also kids who had, you know, their families who had experienced the loss of a child. And, you know, there were bumper boats and ski ball and, uh, all the fun things. And my job was to coordinate that event. And so I did. And, um, that was the day that my husband called me and said that, um, Jacob had leukemia. And so here I was at this event and, Jacob had had a cold for about a week and I had gotten his blood drawn that day and I I, I just couldn't believe it. I'm at this event surrounded by other families with kids with cancer. I've already done this once and I, and I, and I have to do it again. Like it was just, it was, and it was so dramatic. I remember walking out the door. I just had to get out of all the noise and I, I remember walking out the door onto this little patch of grass and just collapsing. I just sat down on this grass and I looked up at the sky and there was this, uh, this sky plane that's going by sky riding and it said six, six, six across the sky. And I, and I was like, what is that? And coming from my Christian background, it was like, you know, this whole thing is evil. What is happening? And then I found out it was a, because of a movie, they were promoting a movie that day. But um, J- Jacob was diagnosed um, on six six oh six at the age of six. Wow! Yeah, and so there were these little um, kind of nuances about life that I started to pay more attention to, 
and um, really spiritual moments, uh, including when Justin, um, before the night before Justin died, I uh, had fallen asleep in the chair next to him. It was the wee hours of the morning in the ICU, and uh, I had a dream that he was being resuscitated. And um, about 12 hours later, that dream in great detail uh, was was played out exactly as I had dreamt it, and Justin died. And so I had never had an experience like that before. And it's still very vivid to me, in both in the dream experience and also in reality. And uh, I had to make sense of all of these th- spiritual experiences that were happening surrounding these very devastating life events. And uh, over time, and believe me, it's taken a lot of time, (laughs) I've just come to a place of peace about having, uh, uh, believing that we come into the world with a a soul plan that um, I I think from my, my Christian background has, had kind of let, gave me the roots and understanding of so many mindsets that I have but after Justin's death all of that blew up I I had to reconstruct so many things about what I believed and because I came from such a conservative Christian realm I was having spiritual experiences that were not acceptable to um, many people within the congregation I was in um, in their belief systems and so I really had to reformulate who uh, I am who I am and go with uh, kind of being more heart-centered and more spiritual. And um, I had so many spiritual experiences at the time that were considered in the old teaching that I had known for so long that were, would it, were considered scary. And yet exploring them myself, like having a dream and then having it happen, um, hearing a voice at times it, I don't it, it was more of an internal voice but it was like hearing from an inner ear um, seeing and just having knowings solid knowings of that something was going to happen or an awareness that it was more likely to happen and then things happen so and I, and I, I think this is very common with people who have devastating life experiences um, and I really believe it's because we're our, basically like our heart is just cracked open. And in that opening is when we reconstruct uh, and ha- have a greater sensitivity to the energetic fields around us and the spiritual uh, help that's around us. And so for me, uh, that started with the dream and then I uh, had more dreams about Justin visiting me. Um, and, I, and I also, during this time, was especially in the early years after Justin's passing, I was very, very broken. And I remember laying in bed one night. Um, this was just months after Justin died when grief was very, very fresh. And I, I remember just praying to God to let me die. And... Um, I tend to be a very optimistic, upbeat person and happy person in general. And uh, so this was the lowest I had ever felt in my life. And, you know, I had three young children, 
still to raise and my husband loved me and everything was good and uh, but the pain of our loss was so so heavy that I, I just remember laying there please let's just let my breathing stop I don't want to breathe anymore <laughs> I just I, I can't wake up to this reality again of, of Justin not being here and feel this pain and and uh, uh, I fell asleep and I, I had this this uh, I dreamt that I was um, kind of like in a rabbit hole I could see this tunnel and the big opening at the light like just like what you would imagine like Alice in Wonderland looking through the <laughs> up, to, up up the rabbit hole and um, and I remember Justin peeking over the edge of that opening and um, kind of waving me forward like come on mom come on you know with his hand um, and I got and I could feel my my heartbeat and my breathing slowing as I got closer and closer to the opening and I was so happy I thought oh I, I'm dying this is great I will see Justin and I don't have to do this anymore and my I got closer and closer and I was almost there when uh, Dave rolled over and snored very loudly and woke me up <laughs> and I remember waking up so mad because I I, I, you know, I was almost there, and I almost got to see my son. And um, many months later, that dream really haunted me for a, a long time because I felt like Justin needed me. And I think that's also a very common experience when we have someone we love pass. Is you feel like, you know, do they need me? I'm, I, I don't know. And why would they try to reach me on the other side? And you have so many thoughts that just nothing makes sense. And so. Uh, um, several or a couple of years later, actually, um, I was led r really to a medium, and I had been very closed-minded to seeing to using mediums. Um, and, but it, it, and this is a long story, so it's it's in the book. <laughs> but how the progression of getting from being completely closed-minded to having spiritual support to, I mean, you know, in media through a medium. Um, to welcoming it, and I, I, I did. It, it took a lot of soul searching, um, but I basically had a friend who, three different people who had gone to mediums on their own for their own purposes, come and tell me that um, the that Justin was trying to reach me. And it, it sounds so strange for me, to even when I think of myself saying these things, because I, w I would have the old me would have been so close to even that idea <laughs> but when I lived it in the way I lived it it, it it I couldn't say no so um so I did go see a medium and uh, one of the things uh he told me was to ask Justin questions directly while we were there and he could hear him um through his angels and um all of that again was so foreign to me that I thought this is too weird but I'm going to do it anyway because I I've been led here so this is what I'm going to do <laughs> and uh so I quietly, silently to myself asked Justin about the dream. And this medium sat there silently and I didn't say a word out loud. And he asked me, did you have a dream? And I said, yes. And um, he said, okay, what Justin is telling me is that um, he doesn't need you, but that he was so um, excited about being where he is that he wanted you to see it. And then when he said that, to me, it totally made sense. Like, I got it. 
because that's the kind of enthusiasm and happiness that was being projected in that dream to me, that Justin was excited and happy. Um, and so it really helped um, give me some closure about where he was and that he was okay and um, that he, and then he went on to describe all kinds of things that Justin was doing in the spirit realm or in this other space of in time where he was. And, and again, all of it sounds so crazy. And, um, but it was the most helpful thing in my grief process to create images that were positive, that were somewhat tangible, that were, they were relatable rather than, um, the old images that I had of life and death, which were, you know, life was lived here, and when you die, you're in a state of sleep or non-function, and that we all do, they, you just wait in that state until everyone else is um, at a, you know where the rapture comes and all these different things events happen, and then we all wake up. And so I, I, um, I liked this image better. <laughs> it felt more true to me that uh, we exist in a spiritual state elsewhere, um, that our energy doesn't die. And I, I like that that also aligns with the science that we know in quantum physics. And um, more and more science is proving that we do, that energy uh, affects our world in a much bigger way than, than we have ever understood. And uh, so I've learned to let my life lead me to what's next and to embrace living a very joyful life uh, and accept what comes and, um, not as, and, 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 and believe me, there's, there've been plenty of challenges along the way still, but I don't look at challenges as punishment anymore. Uh, I think again, from my old roots, the, the idea of, um, God being a punishing God, um, was, was definitely ingrained in me from childhood. I, I remember, um, like if one of us, like I remember bumping my head and my mom would go, Oh, God is punishing you. Or if you, you know, cut your finger or stubbed your toe, Oh, God is punishing you, <laughs> you know, in that feeling of needing to, uh, confess your sins to the priest and all those, those all those kinds of um, practices made me look at God as though he was and the belief that he's omnipotent and that he is a he and all of those images really created a sense of um, being a victim when Justin died and being a victim when Jacob was diagnosed and anytime there's been a crisis and I was really taught um, I learned to change my mind about that through children who were dying. One of them um, is uh, was a little girl named Elizabeth. She was six years old, and um, she was treated at the same time at, as Jacob. And we would see her at Children's Hospital L.A. And uh, when she had a very rare form of cancer, and when she was sent home on hospice care, I went and visited her, and um, I was friends with her mother, and. Um, her, my advice to her mother was to pay attention to what Elizabeth says because at this point uh, and along the way, sick children say amazing things that go unnoticed um, and they're just rich with wisdom. And um, so she did do that. And one day Emily called me 
the mother. And she said, I just wanted you to know what Elizabeth told me today. And uh, Emily conveyed to me this story. She said, I was holding Elizabeth in my arms and I had told her, Elizabeth, I'm so grateful that God gave you to me, my only daughter. And Elizabeth turned to her and said, me too, mommy. I had to wait such a long time for you. And Emily's awareness at that moment of being part of something bigger than this experience uh, was profound. And she shared with me how she believed that Elizabeth agreed to be her mother, her daughter. And there was this whole just awakening. Um, and when I stood there in the backyard and Emily conveyed the story to me, it was like the sky opened up and I understood. And right from Elizabeth's world, I had waited such a long time for you, mommy meant to me that Justin had, agreed to be my son and I had agreed to be his mother well before we were ever in physical form. So um, after I talked to Emily, Elizabeth's mother, and heard from her straight from her daughter's mouth that when she said, I waited such a long time for you, mommy, was one of those moments in my life where I, it, again, it was like, my mind opened up, the sky opened up. It was a time when I stopped seeing myself as a helpless victim of my own life or a victim of a brutal God who just said, you know, this is the way it is and you just have to suffer through life. For the first time, I realized that I was not a victim but a participant and that life, even with all of its tragedies, is not something that we have to suffer through, but rather uh, experience and feel the emotion um, and learn what it is to be human at every level. And um, so I started looking at my life that way, where uh, when, you know other things would come along, and I would think to myself, "Gosh, you know, like." If I this is something I agreed to, um, whether it was uh, a, a, a big move in the family or a job change or a person who came into my life who I really, uh, you know, maybe rubbed me the wrong way, the idea that at some point um, before I came into physical form, I agreed to experience what I experienced and uh, um, was really pivotal for me. Um, and because that mindset was already there before Jacob got sick, um, I was able to really handle his illness, uh, in a much more open minded way. And, and, and as, even though it was very difficult, I don't want to sound like, Oh yeah, I just accepted it all. And, you know, great. It wasn't like that. It was, you know, I was angry. I was upset. I was fearful, but I had that internal knowing that I was courageous and strong and able to endure this experience, to learn from it, to benefit from it somehow, even though um, it was not something I would choose in my own human lifetime. I wouldn't have chosen to 
have my son die and have another one with cancer. You know, those are not things that we go, oh, you know, we don't have kids and think, oh, you know, what's this one going to teach me? Some tragic event will, you know, expand my awareness. <laughs> like nobody thinks that way. At least I didn't. But um, it was helpful. It's a helpful mindset. And uh, so most recently, I uh, like exploring uh, the teachings about soul plan. And a book that I read recently is called Your Soul's Plan by Robert Schwartz. Uh, and his second book, Your Soul's Gift. And um, I find it to be one of the most helpful books I've read, even though it is a stretch for me uh, because it does involve mediums and psychics with different skill sets and um, it also involves the belief system that we reincarnate and all kinds of things that are uh, not within my normal range of thinking especially with the background that I shared with you. Mm -hmm. um, but I, uh, I love the message. I really do. I love the message behind the book that we are more than we think we are. We are able and created really um, with the agreement to experience what we come to experience and that we have and everything has meaning everything has purpose there's not one tragedy not one trial and none of it is wasted and mm -hmm. um and i like that i like that imagery and uh so sometimes you know if i'm going through something stressful uh, i'll pick up that book and i'll just um read about it. like he has stories about people with all kinds of um tragic life events alcoholism, um, child abuse, suicide, cancer. Um, and, it, and it gives like a kind of like a backstory to their souls of what they agreed to and why. And um, I find that very helpful. So uh, more and more as I reach out to other people who are experiencing grief, I uh, hear myself saying things like um, about soul plan that I and, and whenever I'm in, in a situation where I think I've done the best I can in every aspect of my life and this negative thing pops up anyway, I just go, soul plan, because <laughs> I know it's not my fault. You know, like so many times bad things happen and we think, you know, what did I do to bring this on? And, uh, or what did I do as, and this is a form of punishment now or something like that. But, um, anyway, uh, those mindsets, it's, it's, I've learned that as we go through life, um, it's really what's in our mind that um, makes it either more or less difficult for us to manage. So um, that's where I am now. And I have a grief center that I helped create uh, with my friend Shanine. It's called Just In Time Children's House. And uh, it's brand new out here in Santa Clarita. And we're starting uh, grief groups this uh, coming fall. Just got an office of our own. And um, we've been at it for about a year now. We also host uh, Death Cafe Santa Clarita, which is um, part of a global movement toward uh, open communication around anything related to death. And they were started in um, London by a man named John Underwood uh, and a friend of his. 
And uh, Lizzie Miles is a social worker who brought Death Cafe to America. And then um, uh, a friend of mine, Betsy Trapasso, who's a writer, uh, brought Death Cafe to Los Angeles. And basically, it's a gathering of people who just want to get together and talk about anything related to their experiences, their thoughts around death. Um, it's a the premise is you just get together, have something to eat, um, and always end with cake. Uh, and I'm telling you, I love these death cafes because you know we talk about some very deep um, shared ideas, shared experiences. Um, and then we always end up just laughing and having a really good time. There's a lot more laughter at a death cafe than there is crying. And um, I, uh, so we um, continue to host that. And, um, and I really think everyone should attend a death cafe at least once just to have the experience of talking about the subject because I think that's what makes it really difficult for us as Americans, especially to handle death and some of the tragedies that we experience. Because we don't, we don't know how to talk about it and we don't know how to address other people who are grieving. And when you sit around a table with uh, people who are being very honest in a safe environment where there's no judgment and there's no agenda, which is the premise behind Death Cafe, um, it, it's very freeing and, uh, and very helpful. Um, and then um, the other thing I have going on is just um, raising Jacob. You know, he went back to school today, uh, back uh, first day of high school, and um, it was really sweet because uh, we did, my husband just hugged him this morning and said, um, you know, this is a really special day. We, we've never had a son make it to high school. And, um, he, you know, Jacob got kind of a shy look on his face like, you know, well, what's the big deal, you know, because <laughs> to him his life is full and normal and, um, but to us it is a big deal. Um, and life is a big deal. So hmm. that's where we're at. Be sure to tune in Monday for part two of our chat with Lisa. You've been listening to the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. Visit our website at unmistakablecreative.com and get access to over 400 interviews in our archives. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World, and this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch, the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.